Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. And I'm so happy that you're here. And I believe that God's word will build you up, will give you the strength to do what he has called you to do and to become the person that he has called you to become in Christ. Praise God. Let's take our Bibles and go to a very familiar chapter. I want to pull something out of this chapter that I believe will be of great interest to you. It's Malachi chapter 3. And yes, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings. We're going to bring them into the storehouse of God. But there's something I want you to take a look at with me. And this would be Malachi chapter 3. And let's go to verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Now I think this is very important, this phrase, return to me and I will return to you. So often in the church here in the Western world, we would reference returning back to God as a revival, getting your life right with the Lord, honoring the Lord with the way that you're living your life. But my friends, I'm here today to say we cannot just settle for some form of half-baked revival. We need to have the whole thing. And if we want to have the whole thing of returning back to God and seeing the church strengthened and restored and coming into the third reformation, uh, reformation movement, then we're going to have to go all the way into this revival. And that is a full return back to the Lord. And that includes the teachings of verse eight and nine. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now it's not it's not unfamiliar at all in other parts of the world where the spirit is moving very powerfully. Let's take the country of Nigeria, for example, where you can have large meetings and call people to Christ. And also at the same time in the large meetings, teach literally on the subject of finances, on the subject of God's biblical pattern for finances and of God's desire that we honor him with the tithe. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, we really shouldn't do that over here. Well, no, we should, we should preach the Word of God everywhere we go, lest we end up with a half-baked return. No, return to me, and I will return to you. And they said, well, Lord, how are we supposed to do that? We're, Lord, we're ready to forsake sin. We're ready to come back to you. Good. Yes, forsake the sin and stop stealing the tithe. <laughs> because the tithe, which is 10% of our income, is holy, and it belongs to the Lord. Praise God. Now, I would, I would say this. In the in the age, the particular age in which we're living, the time in which we're living, beware of forming your financial theology from armchair critics who are all over social media. I want to say that again. Beware of forming your financial theology from armchair critics that are all over social media. Pastor Stephen, what do you mean by an armchair critic? I mean somebody that would criticize tithing and say it's not biblical, that say it's not of God, yet they have no church, they have no ministry calling, 
if you were actually to find them outside of their social media. Remember, social media is not the real person. That's just a little glimpse or slimmer or sliver into their life. If you're actually to go see them, you'd see the real person. And if you get to know them, you get to know the real person. And the reality is that people say all types of things on social media and you go see the person and, and you find out that what they're proclaiming obviously is, can't work because it's not working in their life. Well, we shouldn't tithe. Well, who's the person saying that we want to take a look at their life and you look at their life and you find out their life is not the type of life that you would like to emulate. So be very, very careful because people can sit in their armchair and criticize from the comfort of social media, say, oh, that's not of God. But yet you realize that the person that's making those statements is unqualified to make such crazy statements. And let me say this along with that line of social media uh, and these people that would recruit through their warped uh, ideologies of biblical finances. Well, I, I just want you to know, you've probably noticed that Al Qaeda, they're also recruiting on social media, all forms of witchcraft and sorcery are recruiting people on social media. So you can't let uh, people form your financial theology who really don't even know what they're talking about. Mm -mm. Now, it is no secret that the subject of tithing is highly controversial. I wonder why. Why would tithing be so controversial? Well, the reason tithing is so controversial, are you ready for this? It's because of the grip that money has on the hearts of those who love money. You know what? There's very few people that would stand up and say, yes, I love money. Now, there are some. Yes, there are some wolves out there, financial wolves. They'll do anything to get money. They don't care what it takes to get it. They're going to get it. And they would even stand up on a soapbox and proclaim, yes, I love money. But most Christians wouldn't be foolish enough to do that because they know that the love of money is wrong. But the reason that tithing is so controversial is because of the grip it has on the hearts of those who actually love money. So this is very important that we fully return to the Lord and that we have a true move of God, that we have God working in our lives fully, not just halfly, but fully. And that requires obedience. Now, Matthew chapter six, verse 24 Jesus said, no one, there's nobody that can do this. There's no exemption. There's no one, no one can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot see it's impossible. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the word mammon can also be translated as riches or love of money. Mammon was basically the name of the financial deity that was worshipped amongst many of the deities that were worshipped in the Babylonian system of worship. But my friends, you can't serve God and worship money or love money at the same time. And for many, money is a God that they actually worship. And I think it's important that we understand in the light of all of this and the criticism against biblical prosperity that the devil, you have to understand the devil despises. He hates the financial well-being of the church. See, I grew up 
in a poor environment. I grew up where the saying was true. The church, the people in the church are poor as church mice. And we were. We were at the bottom of the economic level. And as long as the church is poor and broke and looking for another handout and looking for another free lunch, as long as the church is in a state like that, the devil laughs because he knows that in so many ways they're powerless to do anything. Mm -mm. When the pastor is wearing old wore out shoes with holes in them and wearing old wore out britches, then even unbelievers look at the church almost in a place of pity. They pity that such people are in such a miserable condition. And as long as the church is like that, there's not much persecution against the church because the church is powerless and no threat. Oh, but my friends, I'm here today with some bad news for the devil. The devil is upset about those that are rising up in the church and are breaking out and breaking forth into their inheritance in Christ. And I've got news for the devil. And the news is that he hasn't seen anything yet. Because God is raising up multimillionaires all across the church. Not just in America. But in Africa. And in Europe. And in South America. And in Asia. Woo! Praise God. And in Russia. God is raising up multimillionaires in the church. And before it's all said and done. There will be multi billionaires in the church that have a heart for God's kingdom. Mm -mm. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So you have to understand, let me give you a few examples that the world applauds the wealth of the wicked, but despises the wealth of the church. Why? Because the devil hates it. And then the devil will work through humans to criticize and speak wrongly against what rightfully belongs to God's people. See, uh, here's an example. You can have Jeffrey Epstein, multi-billionaire, and he can have a private plane, and he can have several billion dollars, and he can have a private island, and he can get he can get on his plane, on his jet, and fly to the private island and rape and molest young girls, and the world. The world says, yes, he's a man of wealth. He, he needs a jet. Jeffrey Epstein needs a jet. Yes, the Lolita Express. Yes. So that they can go to a private island and rape young girls. Yes, yes. He needs a jet because what he does is important. And the world, the world looks at Warren Buffett. And the world says, yes, now he's a wise investor. He, he needs a jet. Yes. He has billions of dollars. He needs a jet. Yes. So that he can take vast surpluses of his money and provide vast amounts of wealth to fund abortion. He's the number one funder of abortion in the world. And even if you're poor and you can't afford to kill your own baby, guess who's there? Mr. Warren Buffett. Yes, yes, Pastor Stephen, he needs a jet. Because it's very important that we kill all of these babies. Kill them all. He needs a jet. Oh, 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 but dear Lord forbid, if Kenneth Copeland has a jet or Stephen Brooks has a jet, oh, oh, that's not needed. That's not needed. What y'all should do, y'all should walk to your meetings. You don't need that. 
But see, they let all the others slide. Why? The devil, the devil is terrified of the church and the church becoming strong in this area. Did you know that Kenneth Copeland has given away 33 aircraft? Not shoes. I, I didn't say he gave away 33 pairs of shoes. He has given away 33 aircraft, many of those being jets. Oh, but he, he's not allowed to have one, Pastor Stephen, because what he does is not important. Oh, but what Jeffrey Epstein does is? Do you see the hypocrisy of this? Do you see the absolute foolishness of this type of reasoning? I wonder where it comes from. It comes from Satan, who wants the church to stay like, like poor church mice. A, a group, nothing but a group of humiliated people. That's what the devil wants the church to be. No power, no money. You can't do anything but look for another handout. Can I have another bologna sandwich, please? We're, we need some help over here. That's, that's what the devil wants the church to be. But, oh, my friends, all over the world, God is raising up financial champions, those who are his people, who will use money for righteous leverage to bring the lost into the kingdom, and, very importantly, to build up God's people with biblical rock-solid teaching that blows the lies of the enemy, the smithereens, hallelujah, so that God's people can walk in freeness and wholeness and not half-baked revival, but whole revival. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Why would any Christian be against tithing? A couple of reasons. One could be because of spiritual ignorance. You only know what you've been taught. And even with your own research and your own study, as you look for teachers, and as you look to even educate yourself, you only know what you have uncovered and what you have found out. But my friends, if you search for the truth, and the truth is in God's Word, that truth will remove spiritual ignorance. It doesn't mean a person is ignorant, but it does mean spiritually, when they don't know, that is a type of spiritual ignorance. Another reason that a Christian could be against tithing, and they say, well, that's not right, we don't need to do that, is because they just flat out love money. They love it, and they're not giving God a dollar. And they'll say stupid stuff like this. That tithing, that's all under the law. That's all under the Old Testament. And they have no clue. They have no understanding that Abraham was a tither hundreds of years before the law was ever instituted by God through his servant Moses. Tithing was not under the law. It was later, but originally it was done as an act of faith and an act of love and an act of worship. Praise God. And that is how we present our tithes today. And then you have other Christians that they, they speak against tithing and giving offerings because they really don't understand the truth that God can supernaturally bless your finances and that you can sow money as seed and God can bless that and you can have a harvest. They say, oh, that's not true. And then at the same time, in their very own house, they grow little tomato plants and they take because they want a, a tomato plant in their house and they take tomato seeds and they plant it and they expect to, a tomato plant to grow up and to provide them tomatoes. And they say, and they say, but God won't do that with your money. But yet, but yet Paul, the apostle under the anointing of the Holy Spirit called an offering seed sown called money, the sowing of seed. Praise God. Woo. See, truth is under trial. 
But you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, since we also know the truth, let us walk in the light of God's word. Let's honor the Lord with the tithe that belongs to him. Let's bring the tithe into the storehouse. And if you would like to sow an offering, you can do that as well. Praise the Lord. Now, if you would like to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code is 28654. If you would like to go online and bring your tithes and offerings in online, it's safe and secure. You can visit the ministry website of stephenbrooks.org. And there's a link on the homepage that says give, and it has a pink heart on it. And you can click that and bring the tithe, the offering in from anywhere in the world. Praise God. And we will continue to use this provision to take the gospel to all of the world through every available platform. Praise God. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Jesus. I, I believe that the preaching of the gospel and the saving of lost souls and the building up of the church is the most vital, most important work on the face of the earth, even more so than humanitarian efforts, even more so than, than other types of good, good deeds and good things, because you cannot get to heaven on good works. You can only get to heaven by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. And a person cannot accept if they don't know. If he's not preached, if he's not taught, if he's not unveiled, people, they don't know. So that's what we must do, my friends. And we're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. Thank you for standing with us as we do that. And thank you for also honoring and valuing what God places great value upon, the rescuing of souls, praise the Lord, and the equipping of the saints with the Word of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you know what? I'm praying that God will reach some of these billionaires, some of these men that have used their wealth for perverted purposes, to do things with money that is completely contrary to what God declared in His Word. So I believe God's going to get some, but I tell you what, even if they stubbornly refuse, God is still going to have his way and God is raising up financial stars in his kingdom that will shine bright to get this gospel message preached. Praise the Lord. All right, let's take our Bibles today and we're going to talk about the subject of royal disposition. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And we're going to talk about some interesting things today along the subject of royal disposition. Can you say praise God? Hallelujah. Let's pray as we jump into the word. Father, we just thank you, O God, for your word as we study royal disposition. We thank you for the anointing of royalty just bubbling up in us and coming out. And Father, I would also ask that you bless the tithes and offerings of your people with great prosperity that they'll use it for righteous purposes. We give you all of the praise. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we all agree and say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're going to go today to verse 5. And it says here that there is an evil I have seen under the sun. Hmm. As an error, an error proceeding from the ruler. Verse 6, folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. Verse 7, I have seen 
servants on horses, while the princes walk on the ground like servants. This is very, very interesting. Praise the Lord. Now, we see here that the writer says, I have seen servants on horses. Well, this is out of place. Let's understand, first of all, that it was Solomon, the very author here. It was Solomon who went against the commandments of God, and he began to greatly import horses from Egypt into Israel. And one of the reasons God forbade that was because, first of all, he didn't want Israel having all of these relations with Egypt, when Egypt was just a bastion of paganism and uh, the worship of false gods, and that was forbidden start importing all these horses. Solomon liked horses, and so he did it anyhow. He did some other things that God told him not to do, and eventually because of that, uh, it began to break him down, break his spiritual walk down, and Solomon became, sad to say, an idolater. Now, many theologians believe that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon after he had come back to the Lord, after he had suffered devastating consequences of sin, and he realized the foolishness of sin, and now he has written instructions to stay away from foolishness and folly, and we now see his wisdom unveiled. Verse 7, I have seen servants on horses. So this thing about horses, once they were brought into the land, all of the princes, uh, uh, you know, the, the king's children, they wanted to ride a horse, because a horse would represent a very high level of wealth, something that would be only available to the aristocracy, or maybe uh, available to a few of the top military generals and so forth. But this is uh, very unusual to see a servant upon this very expensive luxury item of a horse. So, the problem with this is that the servant riding on a horse is an improper display of royal disposition. In other words, you can't look at that and say, oh, that's very kingly. No, because the very thing is, it's out of order. And the reason is because the servant is unqualified, he is unworthy and he is being put into a place that so often in situations like this, when, when the unqualified person is in that lofty place, truly, if you were to look into it, you would find out not only are they not supposed to be there, they never earned that position. And because it wasn't earned, they're actually unqualified to be there. Because they have taken some form of an, an illegal shortcut to get there. And there have been men that have lied on their resumes, and they have given very colorful resumes. Then they have gotten jobs, for example, as like the head coaching job at a NCAA Division I school. And they got the job as the head coach. Some of those, uh, you know, jobs pay it pay over a million dollars a year for the uh, salary, and they've got these prestigious jobs. But, you know, two years or three years later, somebody looked into the 
statements made on the resume saying that coach graduated from so-and-so university or had a master's or, 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 or a uh, bachelor's, and they find out they never, they never even went there or never even graduated from college. It was just a big lie. Well, that's what we're looking at right here. We are looking at somebody who's up on a horse, but they don't belong up on the horse. They're actually a servant. They're not qualified to be in that place. There are those, even within the church, that have a mentality that is not befitting of the royal dispensation the royal mentality that we should have as believers in Christ. So some have a mentality that they are owed something. They're owed something. They're just entitled to something because they feel like they are. And because of that mentality, they're always looking for a handout or for a freebie or for some easy access to be given to them where they don't have to go through the normal training process like others have gone through who actually earned it and legitimately qualified for it. And so these type of people, which is actually a servant mentality, they only think about what they can get, never about what they can contribute. So even if they have a horse and they're riding on a horse they are in a situation where they're a misfit. And you know, the ones that really can tell it are the ones that truly did pay the price. The ones that really did understand what it takes to get there. And they went through all of that. Well, they, they're the ones that can spot the fakes because when you you've gotten there through fake measures or fake means or cheating, there's something missing in that person. We've had quite a few athletes from America that would go off to the Olympics and would win certain events or win events at the world championships and get the gold medal. And the moment they cross the finish line, you think, you think that's a weird reaction. Hmm. Why? And I've seen some just cross the finish line like no big deal. Why? They cheated. They didn't even earn it. Doesn't really mean much to them because they're so loaded up on on these designer drugs that are meant to escape uh, these tests that can be conducted. And th that's why now these testing committees they actually have to hold the urine samples or the blood samples for ten or fifteen years so that their technology can catch up with all the cheating doping technology. And let's say the person wins the goal. Well, they're going to keep that sample because that person can be using a designer drug that's so advanced that the testing labs might not be able to unravel that and discover that drug sequence for, you know, four or five years later. But if they find out four or five years later that that's, a, that's cheating, they'll still strip that person of that medal. And that is not an uncommon thing for a person to win a gold medal. And five years later, uh, get disqualified. Now they've got to return the medal and stuff like that. But my friends, these things of a servant riding on a horse when he doesn't belong there, uh, these are things that are out of place. And even if you have the horse, you may act like this is royalty. You may even say, praise God, look what God has done. But if it's not done through God's method and through God's way, it's a misfit and the devil has access and it will never present the picture that God wants to portray through his servant of what he can do 
through a person that's properly yielded to him. Mm -mm. We have to get it right. I think one of the worst things that can happen to a man or woman is to actually stand in a place that you've always wanted to get to. And you finally got into it, but you got into it through cheating. You got there through lying. You got, you got there through uh, crookery and through other bizarre methods. And now when you finally stand there, you're missing something. You're missing character. You're missing integrity. You have compromised. You have sold yourself over here in this area. And now when you finally stand there and you're tested, you fall apart. Because you don't really have what it takes. Woo! Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, that's starting to sound like some uh, political leaders that we have or business leaders. Well, we can be aware of things like that. But look, the main focus is that we must look at our own lives, lest we be some type of fraudulent person riding a horse saying, look what God has done. <laughs> when methods to get that horse were really, really out of bounds. My goodness. May the Lord have mercy. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, if you, if you didn't properly earn that horse, then you're not going to value the horse. You're not even going to know how to take care of the horse. You won't even care about how to take care of the horse. You'll have no interest in learning knowledge about how to take care of the horse. In other, in other words, it's like a leader who's riding the horse, and he doesn't even care about the people. He's, it's all about self-serving. All about what's in it for him. And he's got the horse, doesn't even care about the people that he could be ruling over. Wow. Mm -mm. Lord, we praise you. Now, let's talk about the second dimension of this problem of the servant riding the horse and the problem of the prince walking on the ground. There are, please listen, this is very important. There are certain things that the enemy would like for you to go along with that he has designed to use as a means to humiliate you. He has traps laid. He has snares placed out there secretly. They're covered. They're camouflaged. And the enemy wants you to go along with these certain plots or narratives that he's trying to create to set you up in order to humiliate you. But my friend, you overcome these plots by knowing your royal identity in Christ. Praise the Lord. Here's a really good example. And this would be in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter six. And let's go to verse one. Now what happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Gisham, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I, that of course that would be Nehemiah, heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. So the wall's done. All he's got to do is hang the gates, and this thing is complete. At that time, that Sanballat and Gisham sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together. Watch out. Watch out for traps. Watch out for these things. The devil... Uh, it's not like he's trying to recreate or reinvent new tricks. He's just playing these same things over to new generations when they come on the scene. Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. My friends, 
Don't ever let the devil lure you into the valley of oh no. Something even about that name, even if you don't know Hebrew and you don't know what that means, something should tell you prophetically, I don't think I want to go into the valley of oh no. <laughs> and trust me, you don't. By the way, in Hebrew, it actually is translated as the valley of grief. Mm -hmm. Watch out. Praise the Lord, especially as the Lord is lifting you up. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sure that many of you have seen the gentleman named Phil Robertson, who, you know, was the star of Duck Dynasty. He's the father. He's the one that holds solidly to biblical moral values, and he's not afraid to share those values and share the gospel. But I believe that he had a situation where the enemy lured him into the valley of, oh, no. You have to understand that valley can look very, very intriguing. And uh, just like Nehemiah, these men said, hey, we, we want to speak to you. And Nehemiah knew, no, they're, they're going to hurt. They're going to try to hurt me. And uh, they're gonna, there's some kind of a setup. They're going to do me wrong. Well, Phil Robertson was contacted by one of the biggest magazine companies in America, in the world. And they said, we want to, we, we want to send a guy down and have this guy go around with you for, you know, a day and learn about you. And he's going to write an article in this magazine. And that way people will know, you know, uh, you know what you're up to and stuff like that. Now, remember the show's already wildly popular. The duck dynasty show is wildly popular and it's chugging along just fine. And you have to understand the devil, you know, he sees those, that, that family as a Christian witness. So there's plots, there's things he's going to try to do. And, um, you know what, Phil Robertson, he said, okay, he said, I'll, I'll let the guy come on down. And the guy was from GQ magazine and the guy spent the day with Phil Robertson out in the woods and learning about ducks and, you know, uh, bow hunting and all that stuff. And then he leaves and goes back to New York. And the next thing you know, this magazine article comes out and it's just, um, it's just like a total rip, you know, just, just, uh, it's just a, it's a job that's designed to try to make him look like a crazy person. And you have to understand my friends that these things are very dangerous. It almost destroyed the show. As a matter of fact, they told him you can't be on the show anymore. There was such a backlash of anger when people read the article because it, it just put him in a real negative light. Like I said, trying to make him look like a crazy person. But there were enough uh, fans of the show that came to his defense and said, you know, don't, don't, take, don't take him off the air and don't take that show off the air. Or we're going to be very, very mad. And, well, you know, we're going to boycott your company. And the company said, okay, we'll put up with all the persecution because this show's a real moneymaker. But I tell you what, you have to watch out for these types of things. Look at verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Now look, that royal disposition, that kingly inner identity, which must be in you through Christ, you have to, you have to look at your assignment, your calling, what God has you on this planet here to do. You have to look at it as a great work. Because you're going to have plenty of people, regardless of how noble and majestic your work is, even if it's literally saving the lives of people, even if it's the most noble occupation on the face of the earth, you will have critics that will, out of different motives, maybe out of the motive, nothing of 
just raw, dirty jealousy. They are going to try to belittle what you're doing. They're going to try to act like it's not important, and they're going to try to get you off track. But you have to realize that you are doing great work. Praise the Lord. And he said, I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. And then, of course, they basically say, look, the reason you're not going to come talk to us is because we know what you're doing. You're going to actually revolt against the king, and you, you want to be a king yourself. And they made up all of these lies, and they put it in a letter and sent it to him. And he basically said in verse 8, no, such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, watch this in verse 10. And keep your joy. And in the midst of your joy, beware of how sneaky the enemy is to try to get you into that valley of oh no. And to try to get you in a place where the last thing you're doing is behaving in a royal, kingly dispensation. Woo! Or disposition. That's what I'm trying to say. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of De uh, Deleah, the son of Hittable, who was a secret informer. Look at this. Look at old naughty Shemaiah. He's going to try to trap Nehemiah. And he hasn't told Nehemiah that he's got his phone on in record mode and that he's secretly recording what he's going to do. He's going to record the audio. He's going to record the video in 4K. And soon as he pulls it and he gets Nehemiah caught on camera, doing what he wants him to do, he's going to upload it to all the news agencies. He's going to send it to CNN. He's going to send it to MN, uh, MSNBC or whatever it is. He's going to send it out to all the news outlets because he's going to plot and he's going to set up Nehemiah. He knows exactly what he's doing. Woo! Oh, Pastor Steve, people, nice. They, they, they won't do that to me. The guy from GQ was very nice. Very nice. It went back. And wrote that scathing article. Mm -mm. Watch out when they smile. Cro crocodiles, they can smile. Show you all their nice teeth. Smile and chomp. <laughs> and then they start to roll and twist you and take you under. Mm -mm. And this is what Shemaiah said to Nehemiah. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple. For they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. Mm. And I said, should such a man as I flee? Now, you have to have that, that kingly anointing in you. You have to have that royal DNA in you. Hey, now, hold on just a moment. The king has assigned me as governor over this territory, and I'm supposed to turn around and run out of here like a scared dog with my tail tucked between my legs. Yes, look, we just need to get out of here now. They're going to kill you. We need to get out of here now. We need to get out of here now. Mm -hmm. You need to know who you are in Christ, and you need to carry yourself in that 
all the time. Thank you, Jesus. And I said, should such a man as I flee? See, he knows who he is. He knows who he is in God. And he knows that what he's doing is extremely important. And you can't let the devil pull you out of your character, identity in Christ. That kingly disposition. And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. In other words, I'm not going to behave all stupid like this. Well, it's just you and me. Nobody's going to know. Oh, he's going to let the whole world know. Mm, that, my friends, that's, that's the world we live in right now. That is the world we live in. Everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody has a 4K camera everywhere they go. They can record anything, audio, anything. Mm-hmm. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, that Hillary Clinton, she should go to jail because of what, what's, what's on her files. Don't worry about Hillary Clinton. You got to cover your own bases. What's on your files? Mm-hmm. See, I'm preaching to the church. We already know what goes on out there in the world, what they do, you know, but you, I'm, I'm preaching to God's people. We have to be living this, not just proclaiming it. Yes, live right, live right. Yes, and we have to, we have to proclaim it and live it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he said, I will not go in. You, you see this, this character of this man, this holy, royal disposition. Look at verse 12. Here comes the Holy Spirit. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. How did they know that? By the Holy Spirit, that's called the gift of the word of knowledge. It is the supernatural revealing of knowledge that only God knows of what others are doing that you're not aware of. Wow. The whole thing's a setup. The whole thing is a major valley of, oh, no. Mm. See, that, that valley of Ono can not only be something public, it can be something private that the enemy would love to make public. Watch out. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 13, for this reason, he was hired. Oh, they paid him to do it. Oh, he's just, into, he's just a good investigative uh, uh, journalist. Uh, he, he really just wants to do right. Oh, no, no, he's, he's been bribed and bought out. I think in many ways there are very few true journalists today that shoot straight and don't play these political games. Well, we have to keep the narrative in favor of this camp or this camp. No, just, just report the truth. Report the news, what it is. Well, if we do that, that's going to make them look bad. Well, that's what they're doing. That is bad. Well, we need to create a false narrative because that's our team. No, we need to, we need to just shoot straight. See, for the church, it's not about like, trying to be on this side or that side. We're not choosing sides. The church is here to take over, not choose sides. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we have to be walking this out. And when I say walk it out, living it, praise the Lord. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin. Act that way. Act what way? Act like a total idiot. Oh, you're right. Let's get out of here. Oh, 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 Jesus, help. Jesus, help us. We're going to die. And and the whole time Shimei is there. Yeah, this is going to look so funny on camera. I can't wait to upload this on YouTube. We're going to destroy this guy with this video. 
Yes, Nehemiah, we got to get out. We're going to die. And Nehemiah, oh, oh, oh. And your, your royalness, your kingly identity of calmness and composure, just all blown out the window. <laughs> well, Pastor Stephen, it's okay if I do it in private. These things are everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's continue. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and, and, and sin. It's a sin. Behave like that. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, God understands. Yeah, he understands you're not acting like him. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, there's... There's multiple things working here that he says that I, that he wanted me to act that way in sin. One sin by getting out of godly character and getting into fear, getting out of faith and getting into fear and panic and, you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And number two sin by entering into the temple. Now hold on just a moment. We know that Ezra who was also a, a partner in this project of rebuilding the wall we know that Ezra was a priest. So concerning uh, uh, temple things going on inside the temple, under certain conditions, Ezra could go in there. But Nehemiah, as far as we know, he's not a priest. He is the cupbearer for the king of Artaxerxes in the province of uh, Sushan. And that's in modern-day Iran. And he's come here through the king's authority to be involved in the rebuilding of the temple. And he's been positioned as governor over the area. Ezra, uh, Ezra came like 20 years earlier. Now Nehemiah is coming in to help finish the project. At this same time, the prophet Malachi is prophesying. Remember, the Bible is not, uh, in the Old Testament, it's not laid out in chronological order. So uh, Malachi the prophet is also encouraging people to repent, come back to the Lord. And, you know, it, it was not lawful for Nehemiah to, quote, go hide in the temple. He, he, he's not allowed to go into the temple. So uh, this is like multiple sins attached here. Acting out of character, forgetting who you are, your, your, your character, and also going into a place you're not allowed to go into. So there was a lot going on here. Verse 14, we see that there were others that really tried to undermine the work that Nehemiah was doing, my God remembered Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. These other pro this prophetess and these other prophets were all bought out. George Soros must have gotten the time machine, and he must have gone back in time and said, here, if you betrayed the man of God, here's some money. Here, here's some money. <laughs> Here, we'll just buy you out. How much you want? Million dollars? Here. Here, okay. Now turn against God, turn against church, turn against, uh, and lead as many away from God as you can. Here's some money. Okay. Now go, now go, go prophesy and lead them away from God. Well, Pastor Stephen, certainly there's ministers today that would never give in to that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, my friends, history has a way of repeating itself. But, you know, I, I really like verse 15 and 16. Let's read those before we move on. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. 
And all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. They knew that God helped them get it done. And you're going to get it done by realizing that you are working under the authority of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. He is the King over the kingdom of God. His government reigns over all. And that anointing of kingship, that anointing of royalty is upon your life. And what he has assigned you to do is of utmost importance. And you're going to stay on it and you're going to get it done. And you're going to stay in that royal disposition of knowing that you are a king under the King of Kings. You, you walk in that anointing praise God and that what God has called you to do is important. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. My friends, there's something here that Nehemiah said that is very, very sobering in the sense this can really distort the royal disposition that God wants you to display that he wants you to walk in and to display outwardly to others. And that is sin. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin. And especially for leaders. If you're in a place of leadership and you get into sin, it distorts. It distorts the qualities of leadership. It distorts the kingly royal anointing. And we must not let that happen. Mm -hmm. And the higher you go. The higher you go as the Lord is working through you and the Lord is doing great things through you. You have to be aware of that valley of Ono. Oh you have to be aware of those secret engagements where people come and say, hey, you know, let's, let's do this. The whole thing's a plot. The whole thing's a setup. You've got to be aware of things like that. Praise God. And just have an absolute uh, commitment that you're not going to compromise a single bit regardless of what may come of anything concerning the standards and the commandments of God's word. Praise the Lord. Second Peter chapter two. Look at this interesting verse in verse 19. This is one of the most amazing verses literally in the Bible. There was one minister that uh, for, for years and years all over Europe, he just preached this verse uh, powerful verse is because it had become living and real to him. I want to talk about it. Second Peter chapter two, verse 19. Now keep in mind, this is in the context of speaking about false teachers and the deceptions that they are presenting to the body of Christ. Well, let me start in verse 18. So there's a little more context to this for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, this would be those false teachers. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. How about that? They're promising liberty, and the whole time they're promising liberty, they're actually a slave of corruption. They're saying, hey, you don't need to keep those commandments of God. You don't need to be under all those burdens. You don't need to be reg regulated like that. You need to be free like us, just free. And uh, that was a form of Gnosticism, and uh, it was it's a deceptive lie. Now, Peter continues, he said, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Here it is. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also... He is brought 
into bondage. Now, I want to read this to you from the CEV. Praise God, the contemporary English version, which is actually a very, um, it's a very literal translation. Let's first look at the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible says in 2 Peter 2.19, they promised them liberty when they themselves are the slaves of depravity. For by whatever anyone is defeated and overcome to that person, thing, philosophy, or concept, he is continually enslaved. Christian Standard Bible, they promised them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption, since the people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Anything that defeats you, anything that's, uh, that's pulling you out of that royal disposition, that royal kingly anointing, is something that is a master to you. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Oh, Pastor Stephen, God understands that these, this thing just defeats me constantly, but He understands. Yes, He understands that you don't understand the true meaning of grace. He also understands that you don't understand that in Christ Jesus, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Oh, but, but Pastor Stephen, surely God understands that what Shemaiah was explaining to me, I mean, that would be a normal reaction of anybody, that we just need to run out in fear. God understands. Yes, He understands that you just made yourself look like an idiot. And yes, when you repent, He'll forgive you. But this is not something that we should dance around with. This, this should not be cyclical. <laughs> this should be a learning experience. Mm -mm. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Any, any winning team, when they suffer loss, they don't like it. I remember uh, when the Detroit Pistons played the Chicago Bulls, in the NBA final years back when Michael Jordan was at his prime and at his peak, he was unstoppable. And they're going through a, a couple of the initial games, you know, the first games, uh, whoever wins the most out of seven games, you know, first one that wins four games wins the series in the world championship. Michael Jordan's just on fire. He's unstoppable. And the, and the coach of the Chicago Bulls said, we only have one plan, get the ball into the hands of Michael Jordan because he's unstoppable. And he was just lighting up the scoreboard. And on the side of the Detroit Pistons, after a couple of losses and reading the writing on the wall, their point guard, Isaiah Thomas, after losing, I think it was the second game, he went out and sat down on a park bench until about 3 o'clock in the morning. And all he did was sit there and think, there's got to be a way to win. There has got to be a way to stop this guy. Because look, winners don't like to lose. And where you're Christian and something's defeating you, you know, there is a way of victory. And so as he sat there until about 3 o'clock in the morning, it finally came to him. And he knew it. He called the coach at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, I know how to stop Michael Jordan. And the coach said, where are you at? What are you doing right now? He said, I'm sitting on the park bench. And he said, I have just figured out how to stop Michael Jordan. And they won the series. And they stopped Michael Jordan, won the world championship. 
That is a true story. But you just can't sit back and say, well, surely God understands. Yeah, he understands you're letting the enemy defeat you, and you don't have to. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. People are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Praise God. My friends, we're going to rise up. English Standard Version. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Perhaps some of you have heard the story of St. Francis, who lived way back in the 1100s. But at the same time, there's volumes and volumes of literature and history about him. He was a great man of God. And you have to understand his lifestyle. He had a very, very wealthy father who was a merchant in the textile clothing industry. And his father had all this wealth. And young Francis growing up enjoyed all that wealth. And he was, as a teenager, what we would call an all-out party animal. He was sinful. He was immoral. And he had plenty of money. And he just lived for himself and lived it up. But he had very powerful encounter with the Lord, and he got saved. And he forsook all of that to serve the Lord and to endeavor to be the man that God wanted him to be. Well, when you realize his background, and that now he's committed his life to God, and he's living as a holy monk, and he's devoted his life to God, so he's not going to get married, he's going to stay celibate. There was a day, on a particular day, now that he's living for God and living for Jesus, that he talked about when he got hit with such a temptation of lust, he felt like his entire body was on fire. Pastor Stephen, what did he do? Did he listen to the counsel of Shemaiah and say, well, surely God understands. Let's just go over here to the nightclub one more time because God will forgive you. No. You know what he did? He went and found the nearest uh, thorn bush, which happened to be a rose bush, and he jumped. He took all of his clothes off except for his undies and jumped on top of the rose bush and rolled around all over the rose bush with all the thorns piercing him, piercing him. <laughs> and he just kept rolling, rolling, blood squirting everywhere until, until that base, crude passion, it just left him. It just left him. How about St. Benedict? St. Benedict, who was a holy man of God, but yet, yet a man still in a flesh and blood body, just like you and I. He said one day he was having just a, a nice day, a normal day, doing just fine. And a blackbird started flying towards him. And then when he got close, began to fly around him. He said it was flying so close I could have reached out and touched it. And he said it flew around me a few times and then it left. And the moment it left, he said, I got hit with such a powerful spirit of lust, unlike anything that has ever hit me before, that was an agent of Satan taking the form of a bird. And that thing just like dropped this, this spirit of lust, this lust thing on him. And he said, it was like my body was engulfed in flames. Oh, Pastor Stephen, surely God understands, and he understands our struggles. And in cases like that, well, God understands our weaknesses. Well, St. Francis and St. Benedict understood what Peter was talking about when Peter said, 
by what a person is overcome by that also he is brought into bondage now when it says by who or whom that in the Greek can also mean not just who a person but also a what a thing a temptation whatever it might be for by what a person is overcome by him also or by that also he is brought in the bondage and these are men that basically said I'm not allowing that thing to bring me in the bondage that thing is not going to bring me in the bondage Francis jumped on a rose bush St. Benedict looked for the nearest briars and he found the whole field of them real close by briars and nettles and he took all of his clothes off except for his undies and jumped in it and rolled and rolled and rolled all through the thorn just getting all tangled up in thorns blood squirting all over the place and wouldn't you know it that wild passion it just left him isn't that fascinating do you know that the monks actually kept those thorns they're they're still around today and you can see those thorns today and the thorns are soaked with blood still the blood is hardened of course but that's the blood of Benedict well I don't understand that pastor Stephen let me say this that's why Benedict hasn't been on the earth for 1500 years but people are still reading his books still reading his literature today why? Because he was a man that refused to give up his royal position in Christ and his kingly anointing, and he refused to surrender it. And that's what he, that's what he held to, that royal disposition in Christ. Same with Francis, and same with many, many others. There was one other saint that whenever he got hit, he'd just go jump in the ice-cold ice uh, lake that was fed by a glacier, that was so cold to make your whole body go numb. He would jump in there with the water up to here. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Praise God. These things are very, very interesting. Very interesting. There was a lady. I haven't seen her in a while. She lived in the community. She's pretty old. Maybe she's not here anymore. Maybe she went to her eternal reward. And spirit-filled lady loved Jesus. My wife and I knew her and her husband quite well, and she probably was one of the biggest gossipers I've ever met in my life. I mean, this is a woman that ate gossip the way some people uh, eat pecan pie. I mean, she just consumed it. Yeah, I, I like pecan pie. She just would, she'd consume gossip like, like a hungry man would eat barbecue. She'd love gossip and she'd eat it and spit it, spew it all over the place. It, doesn't, it didn't matter how bad it was. It, it doesn't even matter if it was true or fake. You know, because remember, the Bible says, you shall not bear false witness. Well, I heard that. Is it true? You, watch out. You're bearing false witness. You're on dangerous ground. And she had a tongue that was like a snake. And uh, she gossiped about all kinds of things. And she finally got burned real bad when, when uh, she somehow overheard uh, what, had, what a well-known pro uh, prophet had told in private uh, concerning some things of great importance. And she took that and literally she put it, she not only told everybody, she put it on the internet and people got mad and she realized she had done something that actually caused a lot of problems, but she still had the tongue. Didn't quite know what to do with that tongue. And she told me last time I saw her, she told me Jesus came to her and because it seemed like everything had cooled down. She was no longer flaming everything up with her tongue. Seemed like everything had changed and she told me what had happened. She said Jesus came to her in a vision, walked up to her, and when she went to greet the Lord in the vision, to say like, Lord, I love you, this tongue, her tongue,
came out and was like three feet long. And it was going like a snake. It looked just like a snake, just like that. And she said, oh, my Lord. She said, what am I supposed to do about this? Lord said, we're going to have to cut that thing off. <laughs> and he said, stick out your tongue. She stuck it out. It looked like a three-foot-long viperous snake. And he cut it in the spirit, and the thing fell on the ground, wiggling, wiggling, wiggling. Well, now Pastor Stephen Jesus understands my sweet tongue. He understands. I just love gossip. He understands. I can't stop. He understands that thing has mastered you, and you don't have to let it. You don't have to met, let it. And as long as you're letting that thing master you, you're like the dude on the horse that doesn't belong there. You could say the right things. Uh, I, 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 now, I'm really a servant, but I, I want everybody to know I'm a prince. I'm riding a horse. This is my horse. I'm a king. Then how come something's wrong? Something doesn't seem right. Why do you appear to be such a misfit? Mm -mm. To have the true kingly anointing, you would have to remove these areas that mar that royal image, that distort that royal image, and nothing will do it more than sin. You got it? You're going to have to deal with these things. Praise God. She got that old tongue cut off, got a new sanctified tongue. Praise God. And everything just cooled down. This is cool as ice after that. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Well, we might as well look at this scripture very quickly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. <laughs> Pastor Stephen, this is too much. What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> That's why you study the Bible. Yes, you read it. Yes, you read it. But you have to go beyond just reading. You have to study the Word, lest you go out and do something crazy and grab an axe stop, chop, and start chopping. That's not what Jesus means. In the Greek, this is what is called hyperbole. And all of the people in that culture and in that time, all of the Jews, and even the, the, those also under the influence of the Roman society, they, they knew exactly what Jesus meant. He's not literally saying, go, you know, just start, start chopping and start gouging your eyes out. But the word hyperbole comes from two Greek words, from hyper and bole. Bole means to throw, and hyper means to extend and go way beyond. So this is an exaggerated, on-purpose hyperbole, hyperbole that Jesus is making, trying to get the people to understand you really, really need to be serious about dealing with sin, because it will extremely distort God's image in you and through you. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. And that's what, in their own way and in their own understanding, Francis and Benedict were doing. And I'm not necessarily saying that you need to go and jump on a briar patch or something like that or start rolling through all the, the rose bushes and the neighbors wonder what in the world you're doing. But I would say you need to do something serious about anything that is distorting God's royal image in you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I, now, I don't know what the sister did that had the crazy tongue. I don't know. I think when Jesus cut it in that vision, that was her, that was her moment of relief. Praise God. But for others, I don't know. Maybe it's grab some duct tape, and if outside of your eating, put the duct tape on. Do anything. 
to keep it quiet. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. God, God has a kingly destiny for you. Yes, Pastor Stephen, we rejoice in that. Yes, yes, yes. Good. Now you have to live like a king. You have to live like a king. Think about this for a moment. Out of all the animals in God's creation, which one represents more than all the others? Which one represents royalty? Pastor Stephen the gorilla. No, no. It's the lion. It's the lion. Everybody agrees. Even those who've studied it, believe it or not, scientists have studied it, and they, they all agree. It's hands down. It's the lion. Why? Well, the elephant is way bigger, way stronger for sure. But if an elephant and lion come up on each other out in the, uh, out in the, you know, Serengeti field or whatever, the elephant's going to turn back. And then you have a giraffe. Giraffe is certainly a lot taller, very unusual. But you start looking at all the animals and the lion has something that all the others don't. Not even the tiger. The tiger is actually a little bit bigger. A tiger can, be, can get bigger than a male African lion. But the tiger still doesn't have what the lion has. Well, what is it, Pastor Stephen? It's his walk. A male African lion with that phenomenal mane and that stride. There's no other animal that strides and walks like a lion. And it actually is a representation of the grace of the royalty of the anointing of the God that made that beautiful animal. It's, it's a display of grace through royalty. There's no other animal that moves like the lion. Mm, that's what scientists even have said that have examined uh, this. What is this thing that makes this animal look so royal? Why is it that when we look at this animal, we think royalty? It's because of the way he walks. And in your walk, now, I'm not talking about physically, you know, how you put one foot in front of the other. I'm talking about in your daily life, your walk with God, the way that you conduct yourself. If you want that royalty to truly display in the fullness of what God wants, you have to let the Lord be master and not let something else be master over you, lest you end up being like a servant riding upon a horse and you don't even really know what you're doing. You don't know anything about the animal. You don't understand the animal's power. You, you don't even, you don't know how to take care of the animal. You don't even care about the animal. You're just happy to be in that position. No. God's going to do great things through you. Praise the Lord. But you must develop that royal walk. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's those that step into that that step into that maturity that so often, even when their life ends, there is a supernatural legacy that's left behind. Why? Because they really lived the walk. They really lived it. Mm -mm. It's not like when they died, we went to go clean their room out and we found all kinds of stuff. Oh my goodness. Look what he's been doing. No. These guys and gals that walked it didn't have those kind of things. Now, I'm not saying they were perfect, but there was a place 
If there's stuff going on, they're going to deal with it. They will not tolerate losing. They will not tolerate sin having dominion over them. They're very, very serious about displaying the royal disposition of Christ in their lives. Mm -mm. Lift your hands. Father, I pray for those that are watching right now. There are some that are watching their king and they don't even know it. They have royal DNA in them and they don't even know it. Oh God, I praise you. I praise you, Father. Let them see their destiny in you. Let their inheritance in Christ be unveiled. And thank you, Father God. Let them not be ruled over or have let not something have mastery over them when they actually have mastery over it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your glory, your grace, your strength, your anointing, and your wisdom. And I thank you, Father, let your people be helped by your spirit so they are steered clear of the valley of, oh, no. They're never lured into the valley of, oh, no, where they get there and they say, oh, no, look what I've got myself into. Lord, by your spirit, lead them away from that crazy valley. Thank you, Father God. If that means saying no to something that would look like something good, but yet it's a trap, then let them see it. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. Thank you for the work and the help of your Holy Spirit who's helping us to fly high and to fly safely in these heights. We give you all of the praise in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. If you're watching today's program and you don't know Christ, you cannot know your destiny, your true calling and purpose for why you're here on this planet without knowing Jesus, because all life is extends out of him and that life includes God's plan for your life not your plan not what you love not what you like what God has for you and yes God understands he puts certain likes and desires inside of you but only God knows that perfect plan for your life so if you want to discover that you have to come in to knowing him you have to come into salvation and if you would like to get your life right with God right now and say goodbye to living in the place in the valley of oh no and come into the pastures of the green grass with the peaceful water the Psalm 23 place where Jesus is your shepherd if you want to know God as your Savior and Shepherd right now pray this prayer after me God's listening God's listening right now pray this prayer say Lord Jesus I'm a sinner but you died to save sinners like me Jesus, I surrender my heart to you now. Come into my life. Wash all of my sins away. And write my name in your book of life. Save me now. Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Welcome to the family of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My friends, the Holy Spirit shared something fascinating with me earlier today, very early when I was praying. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. If you will roll in your thorns, you will rule on your throne. Whoa! I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. 
if you will roll in your thrones, you, excuse me, if you will roll in your thorns, you will rule on your throne. And I'm not literally saying you got to go out and roll in the thorns. Although it made Benedict a legend. And it also kept him from sinning. But I'm not saying you have to do that literally. But I'm saying, yeah, you should take it serious. You should find something. You should find something that switches your focus. Because the Holy Spirit continued because I asked him, I said, what is the purpose of rolling in thorns? He said, its purpose is to apply abrupt measures to get your mind off corrupt treasures. Mm -mm. Again, the Holy Spirit said the purpose is to apply abrupt measures to get your mind off corrupt treasures. Praise the Lord. Oh, Pastor Steve, I treasure that. Yes, but it's corrupt. It's against God's commandments. Mm -mm -mm. Praise God. Praise God. My friends, it's never kingly the roll in the mud. Praise the Lord. Let that lifting of the Spirit take you up. Take you up. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let's take Holy Communion, Holy Communion together as a church family. And even if this is not your church home, your online church home, you still can take communion with us as a born-again believer, child of God. Grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the juice. Father, I see literally turmoil and conflict in the lives of some as they've been in a miserable condition because they're trying to ride the fence. One foot in, in a place that's yielded to you, another foot in a place where they're allowing something to dominate them that they shouldn't. And it is stripping them, robbing them of their confidence in their prayers to have their prayers answered. And Father, I thank you that it ends today as we take communion. Because they're making a commitment to live all out for you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. They're making a commitment to resist the enemy. And I thank you as we resist the devil, he flees from us. Thank you, Father. You promised that. We thank you. Thank you. Father, we sanctify this through this prayer. We consecrate this bread and juice. We set it apart as holy. This is now the body, the flesh, and the blood of Jesus, our Savior. And Father, as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word cleanses us and washes us from the contamination of the world. Oh, Father, we thank you. This is the hour of you lifting up your people. Into new places of prominence, and uh, into new positions of strength. This is the time that the church is shining like a city upon a hill. And we thank you, Father God. The world is watching. The world is watching. And so, Father, we give you praise for your wisdom and your strength to walk with you closely and aver avoiding these Ono oh valleys and these. Shemaiah's and these even false prophecies that were given to Nehemiah. We just thank you, Father God, for the great assignments that you have imparted into our lives. We give you all the praise 
And by your grace, we stay on task. The gate built, all of the, the wall built, all of the gates hung, and everything done according to what you commissioned. And Father, we give you praise for God's word, your word helping us, strengthening us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the flesh of Jesus. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, its mighty soul-cleansing power. Thank you, Father God, you've saved us. You have washed us free from all sin. And you keep us in that place of right standing with you. We thank you that the blood is flowing, flowing. Thank you, Father God. And Father, if there are any sins that would just be harboring in the, in the secret areas of our soul or mind, we ask that you would forgive all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness right now in Jesus' name through his blood. Thank you, O oh God. And we proclaim his death until he comes. We thank you that he's coming again and that he's going to rule the world. And during his reign, he's going to show this world how it's done right. An uncompromising global leader that can't be bought, that doesn't lie. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you, O oh God, who obeys fully your commandments. Thank you, Father. Father, we worship Jesus, the King of Kings. We receive his blood now in his name. We pray. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory. Glory. I think you'll notice that with these great men of God, whether it's St. Francis, St. Benedict, or so many others, when they really got blasted by the devil with these various forms of temptations, that one of the keys is that you have to shift and do something to get your mind off that temptation. Cause these things will try to literally overwhelm your entire thought process and just lock you down into that. So that's why they took those desperate measures of what they did. But the purpose still is that shifting to get your mind off anything, get your mind off that and get your focus, right? Get back on the Lord. Praise God. And the Holy spirit will help you when those times come. And remember, as long as we're in this earth and in this flesh and blood body, these things will come in their various forms and various trials, but lean on the Lord and trust the Holy Spirit because there's no temptation that has ever overtaken anybody that's not a common temptation. And the Lord will always, always have a way of escape for you. Take it and continue to walk in victory. God bless you. See you back next time.